0: Um, 32 counties. 32 questions. Je m'appelle Una. Uh, je m'appelle Andrea. Till God, i uh, never lost to a French. <laughs> and this is United, United Ireland. Ireland.
1: Every week we take a county and dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the world it brings us. Andrew, can you put some very sad violin music in here? Because... Uh, It's the final county. That really won't go with the sad music. But yeah, it's our final county. What is the county, Andrea? This week's county for the final
0: time is Longford. And And this week's question. Why does it take a campaigning reaction to fix basic accommodation for refugees?
1: Now, if you are a, a patron, you will notice that we sent a survey out for your responses. We kind of, we've done, we actually have had multiple planning meetings about the future of United Ireland. Um, <laughs> the and podcast. The, the podcast and also the broader G- project. We solved it. We fixed it. There's a referendum tomorrow. Um, no, no. Uh, well, look. the 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 long and the short of it is that we're not going away. Uh, United Ireland uh, is here to stay for the time being, and um, we're basically just going to do and respond to uh, the things that kind of massive confirmation bias alert kind of confirmed what we're we're already thinking of that we're going to continue to bring you really important and interesting issues that are under really uh, across the country, not just banging on about Dublin all the time, although we know we, we have do a that. propensity for that a little bit. So apologies. Um, and we're going to keep taking these interesting stories, giving them, giving the local context, national and global one, getting really fucking smart guests on to talk about really interesting things you don't hear on other stuff and uh, continuing with the state of the nation on our 32 questions for politicians on our byline series with Amazing Journalists. We've got a really brilliant uh byline episode coming up soon and another really good 32 questions, actually. Yeah. Um but we're so honest. So <laughs> so good to us. So that's that's what's gonna happen. It's gonna be um the podcast that you know and love without this uh county uh connection. Connection. Uh although, of course, we will be a local national uh urban, rural, um, east, west, north, south, midlands, regional, capital, (laughs) city-wide, town-wide, village-wide, field-wide
0: podcast. I think what's happened uh, as we've gone along is that we've naturally found ourselves veering towards certain things and not having to rely on the county to route us down. So um, where we naturally have gone, has kind of really worked. And that's the feedback we've gotten with, from you guys. So thank you for taking the time out to fill in surveys. I hate filling out surveys and like, especially when they're not just uh, multiple choice. I hate when there's a box. I'm like, oh God, I'm just thinking something. So uh, thank you. It's really appreciated.
1: Yeah. the All of the stuff that people were saying in survey was so thoughtful, so honest, really, really instructive and just really helpful. So Thanks so much. Like, it's really, really nice uh, to have that input from you guys. And we will be, of course, guided by your insatiable demands. Um, if you want to uh, come along on this little journey with us, hold our hands, grab a bag of cans and let's go. Uh, why don't you sign up to our Patreon? Patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. You get lesson de sooth and you get first dibs on things. And what else? I have a couple of invites to Clubhouse if anybody wants them. Does any of our Patreon people want to go to Clubhouse? Oh, cool. uh, Clubhouse is the hot new app, Andrea. Uh, it's invite only. Um, um, what I've, happens on it? It's an audio app, so you kind of go into different rooms and people are discussing uh, things. Yes, no. um, it's got all this heat because it was like all tech people and celebrities and stuff on it.
0: Blew, the worst of any <laughs> If you work <laughs> in tech, I love you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um yeah, so anyway, if somebody wants to um check that out and you don't have an invite, DM us and we'll bring you there.
0: access to all the hottest gigs in town.
1: Yeah, we can't we can't give you guest list to anything right now, so we can at least try and give you something. Um but so there you go. That's our news. But what about Ireland's news? That's right. It's the state of the nation.
0: I feel like you've had four cans of Red Bull today in a vibe. You know
1: what? Do you know what's really weird? Today is one of the first days in years that I've had no caffeine.
0: Oh, well, there you go. Maybe it's just in bulk has really kicked in.
1: Mm. Tell me about the state of the nation.
0: Uh, state of the nation, first up, the imitable uh, <laughs> Stephen Donnelly brought the nation together in one of possibly the best online Twitter moments that has ever existed. Now, obviously, his obnoxious uh, message that brought it to the fore is... uh, really awful, basically uh, Tony Holland's flat out sending messages. going, the figures are going up, the figures are going up uh, can we do something, Dublin has gotten out of control, and then Stephen Donnelly's like, oh my god, this! what would be a, an appropriate response to this crisis I'll send a thumbs up oh my god, so every tweet that Stephen Donnelly has done since has literally just been uh, thumbs up, everyone's seen it, it's gas um, but you would like knowing him as well as I do, um, my path. Like, I hope he's not sitting at home going like, oh my God, look at all the look at all the interaction I'm getting on my social medias or like, did you see my ratios? Or oh you could just be like, I think it's going damn well. Like it's really to me. This like there's no such thing as bad PR. I hope that's not what he's saying. I guarantee you that is what he's thinking. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, look, the Stephen Donnelly clown car is going to continue to drive for the duration of this government, however long it lasts. I know that I've expressed my opinions on Stephen Donnelly early on, on his appointment as Minister for Health. Um, it, te- it gives me no pleasure to see those uh, perceptions uh, from afar playing out in terms of people going, wait a minute, is
0: this guy a bit of a spooper? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what I keep doing. I've gone what? back to it about twenty times this week. His interview with Vincent Brown when he the first interview he did with him post joining Fianna Fail after his oh yes, yeah. it's just a joy <laughs> to watch. If you haven't watched it, go and watch it. This gas.
1: Yeah, I always remember that. Always remember somebody was already in a political party when they then left and joined Fianna Fail. <laughs> Uh, a classic a classic move um, Queen's Gambitian uh tactics there well do you know what he's a minister it, worked, yeah. it worked out he's a minister for health in the middle of a global pandemic
0: I think that if you really, if you go back to our third two questions with Richard Boyd Barrett, and he's like, mm. "Career politicians are the absolute worst," and I think Stephen Donnelly's the epitome of that. He just wanted to get up into the ranks, and there you go, he's up there giving his thumbs up all over the place.
1: This is all, of course, fair comment and opinion. And uh, Stephen Donnelly, we don't want people to attack him or anything. He's he's just a guy doing a job. But um, let's see. How it pans out, shall we? Uh something else. I put this in the State of the Nation just because <clears throat> I just always got this quote this quote. You know, the in the in Dublin, there's the Treasury building, which used to be the HQ of Treasury. Uh Johnny Ronan and uh our good friend Richard Barrett from Bar- who is now running Bartra uh flat out whacking in co-living planning
0: applications. I'm giving uh residency to people who will pay for it. <laughs>
1: um so the Treasury building people will know for this uh, sculpture it has on it of a naked woman. Uh, the sculpture is called Aspiration. Um and uh, it's been finally taken down. But the thing that I just always find about this sculpture which let's face it it's ki- it's kind of weird um was that it was actually a a a, sculpt- a, a statue a sculpture of a, a man and Johnny Ronan made them change it to a woman. And he said at the time, and I quote, there is no way, or somebody the proper, somebody said, there's no way he wanted a naked man climbing up the wall to his window. Um, <laughs> bear in mind that this is a fucking statue. Like, does what? what is it going to make him gay? Like, what is this thing? If I have a statue of a bloke on my building, people are going to think, so, uh, something about my sexuality or I am going to imagine this piece of stone cop- <laughs> copper or whatever climbing up my
0: wall mad shroomy vibes off this statue as well maybe, Anyway, maybe got, he just got turned on by it
1: maybe, maybe it was just too much anyway it's gone, the aspiration has left the treasury building I left it a long time ago if you ask me that also obviously that treasury building in an amazing kind of Beckettian fucking, I don't know, poem became uh, the headquarters of NAMA, didn't it? Anyway, previously Bowland's Mill, of course. Long storied history. What else is happening in the state of the nation?
0: Uh, you're very poetic tonight. Uh, also, there was the launch this week of hashtag We Can Be Zero, which is our uh, nation's attempt to uh, get covid figures down and keep them down essentially um what a mad idea um but like i just keep thinking has anyone actually come out with a a, a substantial reason why we can't do it because essentially like it really is get the numbers down track and trace and keep like compa- not compare them c- keep them under control like can we not just Like, why? What is there Like, you can see how frustrated I am. I can't get a sentence out. Why can't we do it? Yeah, I think what I find about
1: the whole zero COVID conversation is, number one, it's a bit of a moot point because we have a lot of COVID in the country right now. Like, it's something that you would have done at the start. Uh, and also i think what it like what are the definitions of zero covid if it, it's like flattening the curve completely and trying to get back to where we were last summer where we essentially had zero covid yeah. 100% absolutely and and but i think maybe people have loads of different um inter- this is me from afar right i think maybe people have loads of different interpretations of it and what i worry sometimes with these things when it's just like a name or a term or a slogan that People use it to become part of like the team. You know, I'm on zero COVID, and I'm on the I'm I'm on the not zero COVID, and then it's just like people are fighting over a hypothetical, and the issue itself is being neglected, or you know, so it's like, are, do we want to argue over the terminology of something, or do we want to, or and like be on different sides, or do we just want our government to be? way, way better and flatten the curve completely. It's like the travel thing. Like, I absolutely think that, you know, if people aren't obeying guidelines or if they're just like, you know, flying all over the place or loads of people coming, whatever, in and out of the country, blah, 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 no essential travel, absolutely fine. But like, you know, over 300 people died in nursing homes in January. And I don't hear you know, it's fucking wall to wall on the radio for a couple of weeks about travel and airports and borders and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, why was it not wall to wall with this, with stuff that actually is a much bigger issue? I know that it's very motive for people. People don't think people should be traveling. People are looking for external blame. Um, I was reading a thing that somebody wrote to, I think it was Sarah Shulman in in uh, one of her... An interview that I was reading with her, and she was saying, uh, empty scapegoating emerges out of social anxieties.
0: A hundred percent. But like, I feel like zero COVID, take away the name, is just people calling for better resourced healthcare like doing what we can do to restrict COVID and stop it spreading and how we, like, if that has to have a name, grand. But like, I think it's just a frustration of like, why the fuck are we here when we shouldn't have to be?
1: Because of bad leadership and poor decisions. I mean, you know, get another better government would be also a really catchy hashtag. (laughs)
0: Um, What else is going on? Um, I am kind of obsessed with the Data Protection Commissioner. I think she's an absolute hero Um, and everything they do is just brilliant. But they have uh, sought to seek answers on the destruction of the mother and baby home recordings and basically looking for justifications and what actual legal basis there was for the deletion of the records. So obviously there's been a lot of frustration about, are you absolutely joking? How the fuck did that happen? Um, so it's good to see uh, the Data Protection Commissioner going in and uh, looking for answers.
1: We interviewed her before, Helen Dixon. We interviewed her on, on this podcast we or did. was it on? The, it was, yeah. yeah, it
0: was on this. It was a really interesting one. It was about the public service card.
1: Oh yes, well we maybe should get her on again to um because the job's changed so much and broadened so much, so let's try and get her on again to talk about the vibe, the vibes. The, yeah, I
0: have yeah. a lot of respect for her. I really like what she does. What else is Lu Andrea? Uh, like this should really be in its bananas, but so basically <laughs> the fallout from CETA, which has basically seen the Green Party have no one left in the gang I know loads of people are leaving over CETA and this week uh, loads of people have been rooting out videos and tweets from uh, Eamon Ryan and his campaigning against CETA and being like here Eamon what's the story what's changed and there's been no like there's been like oh well it's a better deal but essentially the CETA deal is uh, putting trade ahead of Everything else, essentially, and allowing corporations to sue for loss of earnings, but it also commodifies all our natural, and I don't like saying it, resources, and um, all our all of nature becomes a potential earner, and um, with this uh, trade deal, so yeah, it's very bizarre for the Green Party to be backing it, and obviously, they've got that little whip situation going on that I'm very against. and um, so it, how can you sleep at night? from something you've campaigned rigorously against to be coming out on the side of pushing for it.
1: If I was a Machiavellian uh, political strategist right now, or indeed a politician, what I would be doing would be trying to find the ugliest kind of policies uh, to pass or pitch um, and see what how far Eamon Ryan would go to defend something that he... Was previously against. I mean, it would be a terrible thing to do, <laughs> obviously. But if you want, if you if you wanted to destroy the Greens, which wouldn't also be a terrible thing to do, I think um, they've already
0: done that. To be honest, I think there's it's quite like what do they stand for?
1: Well, I mean, I think I think people are very disappointed in them. But I think you know, as Richard Boy was saying in in the thirty two questions last week, like what did they expect? Um, yeah, this is what happens when you go hang out with Finnegan and Finnafall for a while um you end up just doing mad shit
0: which yeah it's really it's really disappointing because there's so many great people doing great stuff in the Green Party uh one yes, of Catherine Martin who is looking to introduce a, U, a universal basic income for artists after uh, getting recommendations from the Arts Recovery Task Force and I um I've been like watching i've been watching katherine martin and she's getting a ghost star for me i'm like i think she's re- doing really good shit and um and hazel too as well so like you're watching all these people in there who are doing good stuff and then seeing the the party uh like the, the clues in the name the green party voting for ceta it's just bananas it is and now
1: it's long for a time Let's go with Andrea's famous, patented county facts. And final.
0: Hit me with the facts. Okay, the facts are there's a population of 40,810. It's the second smallest county in Ireland in terms of population. You'd think I would have Googled what the smallest was. Maybe Laterum, I believe. Oh, yeah, I probably should have known that from previous facts. Uh, it's built on the River Camlin, which is a tributary of the Shannon. Um, it has links to Madonna. <laughs> Tell me more. So, the president, former president of Argentina, Edelmiro Julian Farrell, was the grandson of Longford man, Matthew Farrell. Uh, so, Edelmiro uh, introduced his military subordinate Juan Peron to government when he was appointed, and then he was he appointed him as secretary, basically, and when he was minister for war. Imagine being minister for war, gross. Uh, that's not so hot right now. Um, but then Peron obviously went on to, well, not obviously, went on to act as his vice president, and then eventually succeeded him as president. And he was married to Eva Peron. Who was paid by Madonna in the film? Is that tenuous? In,
1: in the film of Eda, yeah. That is very tenuous. But However, n- now I'm just really, my brain is just whirring of an episode of you connecting all 32 counties to Madonna somehow.
0: It could be done. Um, she gets her lips done with Alicia Lip Filler. <laughs> um, that's another sideline side note uh St Mel's Cathedral in the town featured I'm sorry is Alicia Lipfiller a a Irish brand or what is that oh controversial station. Alicia Lipfiller has been uh continuing to do uh lips during the lockdown and was shut down by the guards and somebody somebody said was like do you think she was drawn to her profession because she was called Alicia Lipfiller <laughs> yeah, nominative, nominative determinism. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she's not giving up. She is filling those lips. Um, so yeah, that's a cute little sideline. Anyway, St. Mel's Cathedral in the town features several stained glass windows by Harry Clarke, beautiful window maker. Um, and one of these was his earliest work, the consecration of St. Mel as Bishop of Longford. So, yeah, Harry Clarke's uh, windows—they're so famous. They're yeah, so, stunning, goodness, but they're so beautiful. Uh, the prison service HQ, a, a questionable thing in itself. We should do an episode on uh, that prisons. Yeah, we meant to do that ages ago. Yeah, let's do that. Um, but it has a sculpture by artist Ramco Duffu, who, apart from the spire in Dublin, is the largest piece of sculpture in Ireland. No way. There you go. Um, now these are my stories. So. Inch Claron or Quaker Island is uh, in an, in a river but basically the story of Clahra and Queen Maeve is from this island. So what happened was the, their father married them off plus four other sisters to the King of Ulster. Six wives which is cool I'm telling you, to All that vibes, but like, I don't know if they had a choice in it, which is not cool. Um, So they were married off and then Clara got pregnant by him. Queen Maeve was absolutely raging. So she killed her and then she became queen, Scabby. And then her son lived on and came back and then killed Queen Maeve. Jesus but mental, like uh, so. Then on the same island is this thing called Temple Murray, Murray Church. And what happens if you are a woman and you go into Temple Murray, Murray Church? Apparently, you die within 12 months of leaving. <laughs>
1: Yeah! So wow, this is dark, dark, dark Longford mythology.
0: So apparently, I was reading an article about it, it was so funny, it was like, "Like, obviously folklore is kind of like, not really literal, but like, wouldn't want to chance it, would you? <laughs> um, okay. So yeah, there you go, that's Longford. <laughs> They're my Longford facts.
1: Those are great. I'm going to miss the county facts. We're going to have to come up with something else. I think... I think maybe your little mythology segment. Oh my uh, God,
0: that's my favourite bit.
1: Yeah. Okay, fab. Just take, writing that down now in my notes. Brainstorming in action, that's how we roll. <laughs> okay, and now, tis our county rep.
2: Hi, hello. Um, my name is Paula um, I'm from Longford Um I'm just sending on a quick little voice message then just in regards to some of my favorite places in Longford. If you need me to kind of go into any more detail or anything like that or kind of expand on any of it or send on kind of any links for you to kind of dig a bit deeper into something, just do let me know. Uh, happy to send them on. Um, but in regards to some of my favorite places, then um, a lot of I think what people don't realize is the countryside surrounding Longford town is actually quite beautiful um it, it's also kind of the setting of Irish myths there's a lot of old ruins like uh, dolmens, portal tombs um there's an Iron Age road one of the largest in Europe um as well that you can go visit for free um so there's a lot actually like to Longford outside of Longford town, which I think people don't realize. They just read the news and see what goes on. Um, but, there's, but there's actually a lot. Um, and I didn't even know that myself really until I moved away and kind of went back home visiting, you know, when I was able to, I was old enough to kind of go exploring myself. Um, but yeah, I think my favorite place to visit when I'm home is Clondra. It's a village just outside of Longford. It's on the canal. Um, and in summer, it's just so lovely as well. Like, you just have all the canal boats come in. Um, it's... Um, sorry. <laughs> you have all the canal boats come in. Like, the, the village is buzzing. Like, even just outside the local pub, there does be old men just playing... Uh, guitars or banjos and having sing songs um, and just people dancing out in the streets or out on their boats and they're all so lovely Um, and just like it's it's just such crack just down there Um, and even in winter it's just a nice place to go for a walk along the canal Um, there's a lot of bridges that you can even kind of get under um, which I've many a time have just sat under and read it's so peaceful and it goes out onto the bog as well which in summer is like um it's really really nice and like full of heather um and all the birds and everything around and there's a lot of kind of um why can't i think of the words (laughs) flowers (laughs) it's actually so beautiful um and it's it's one of my favorite places to go um i always just make my dad bring me out in the car Um, Saints Island is another favourite of mine, it's an island in the middle of Lockery, Um, it's also the home of a kind of an old priory but I've only ever really camped there Um, and it's lovely kind of as well just sitting beside the lake, the sun going down, everyone just having a few cans kind of around a campfire Um, and you just feel like you're in the middle of nowhere Um, it's such a beautiful little island. In winter, though, you'd need a boat to get to it because the road goes straight out into the lake, but that gets flooded, so there's only one way into it. Um, another lake actually is Loch Gowna, and that's in North County Longford. Um, again, just with um, local legends, uh, there's always there's stories about fairies in the forest. Um, so all the local children in the schools have kind of come out and built like fairy homes um, in the forest. It kind of looks like something that you'd see at a festival but it's so pretty and it's such a lovely walkway around it as well. Um, and just close to that in uh, Auchnacliff village there's the the portal tomb as well um, which I think is the only one for like a megalithic tomb in Longford I believe. Um, but yeah which is kind of cool um the river shannon as well runs through longford um which a lot of people go out on in summer especially in lanesborough they usually have loads of events on uh like food events music events um me and my friends used to just always kind of drive out there and go swimming in uh In the shannon it's always like such a fun time again all the boats pull in in the marina as well so there's always just like random characters or someone out singing um on the dock and it's just so nice um it's one of my like favorite memories living in longford um and even just with kind of focusing on like the myths um midder and uh, and etain is based in longford as well or the wound of etain um so Mitter, like a prince fairy um is said to have lived in Brele, which is um now arda mountain uh, which isn't a mountain <laughs> Um, it's just like flatland but yeah he was said to live there among the fairies um and it's featured in the story as well like arda village have a heritage center where you can go and learn about it a local animator as well, Mary Smith, has worked with On for Tourism and they've done like a little animation kind of explaining the story as well. Um but yeah, it's it's a really beautiful story, um, um in Irish mythology about um Midair trying to win Etain's love and it's um it takes place over a thousand years, I believe. Um but that's based in Ireland as well. Or er, not Ireland, Longford even, that's based there, uh, which is cool. And you can go up and walk on it as well. Like the Longford County Council kind of resurfaced a lot of the walkway on Ireland Mountain, so you can go up and walk and it connects to the Corallet Trackway, um, which isn't, uh, which would have been, I think, um, connected at some point to the hill of Ishnach as well. Um, and that goes up onto the canal. And um, so you can still walk up there now. And uh, the Arda Heritage Centre does a uh, little retreat, not retreats, <laughs> there are little walks up there as well, kind of going through the history of it. And you can see all the old uh, ruins of like the houses that used to live up there, or used to be up there um, back in the day as well. Um, yes, yeah, Sunday's I think in July. The Arda Heritage, Her- Heritage Centre do walks up there as well, but it's just it's just beautiful, um, and it's where my grandad used to bring me um, and tell me about the stories and got me into Irish mythology. So it's really cool that like one of my favourite stories is based in the county that I'm from, um, and there's a beautiful statue of it as well of Medb and um in Arda as well that you can go see. Um, but yeah, it's pretty cool. I kind of like how there is the side to Longford that's really interested in folklore and myth and um, you know history, which um, which I think people don't really realise that it's there. And there's a real focus on the arts as well. We have the backstage theatre that's always putting on plays and shows just even when you walk into pubs in Longford, like someone singing, someone has a guitar out, someone has a banjo out. Like a lot of my younger years living in Longford, a lot of it was spent kind of um, playing, playing music or hanging out with musicians and stuff. And it's definitely kind of helped shape who I am as a person. I think everyone tries to focus on the negatives when it comes to Longford, but there is a lot there. Um, if you look, but they're just there's actually a lot more um, to Longford, I guess, depending on what you're interested in. But they're just some of my favorite places. Um, but yeah, I'll send on the info about Midder and Etane. Um, it's a really cool story, though. Um, I think it's one of my favorite things about Longford. But yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention actually, um, there's also Cornhill, it's Longford's highest point, and they have a walkway up there. it's Really stunning as well um, when you're up there and you can just see over the whole county. Like, there's so much greenery. Um, it's probably Longford's worst kept secret, but it is, it's really lovely.
3: And now, county rep number two.
2: I think that
3: since I was 11, when I ran for election to Corlin and Oak at the time, um. I think I've spent the majority of my life since then, and I'm 28 now, uh, starting sentences with my name is Sheena Cahill and I am a proud woman from County Longford. Um, And I don't know why that is. I think it ended up being a quirk Um, at some point along the way where people automatically found it funny when I said I was from Longford. Like it made me different. Because nobody seems to be from Longford. Like, I can't tell you the amount of times I've met somebody um, and they've said, God, you're the first person I've actually met from Longford. As if Longford is potentially a fictional place with uh, only a small few, you know, thatched cottages along the side of a road kind of thing, and nobody ever knows anyone from there. Um, but for me, obviously, it's the place I grew up. Um, It's the heart of the Midlands. It's the forgotten land. It's I mean, we have the bog. I mean, look at it. It has it all, Uh, you know, from Mel Gibson's ancestors, apparently. We wouldn't want to dwell too much on that as the legacy um, to a dramatic St. Mel's Cathedral, which rose from the the ashes of a fire that engulfed it one Christmas um, to one of the oldest ancient trackways in the world at Corlea. Uh, which is right beside the National ISPCA Rescue Centre in Kina. And, I mean, the county is also the home and or birthplace of the poet Oliver Goldsmith and the, the writer and, I think, activist Marie Edgeworth. Um, I suppose more recently we passed marriage equality by the skin of our teeth, but repealed the eighth with gusto um, while still grappling with, I mean, what is very much the legacy of Anne Lovett's passing in Granard. Um, Something much closer to home than articles in any national newspaper uh, could hammer it, yet, I mean, it's something that's very rarely even referenced. Um, Meanwhile, Centre Parks now makes us the most unlikely international tourist destination of Ireland um, with a spaceship-like heated swimming pool and what is a fake lake in the middle of the forest in Newcastle Woods, about five or six minutes from my house. Um, And look at while the The River Shannon, uh, you know, runs through the county. Um, The young have run out of it. Um, The centre of Longford Town, like many rural towns, is in trouble and it's run down and businesses are struggling to survive. And that was pre-pandemic. I mean, Longford's the pure definition of rural Ireland. Um, I feel like we only just got... Wi-Fi there <laughs> a few months ago that could withstand an episode of Shit's Creep but to make up for it you know we do have some gorgeous walks canals heritage people and potholes. Um and we're not just somewhere you should go through on your way from Dublin to Sligo um, and we're more than the McDonald's stop you know at the bypass of the town um, from my opinion we're pure cushy couture <laughs> And from station masses in houses to massive funerals pre-pandemic, I suppose, to pan fried box tea and the cutting of turf in the summer, Uh, you know, Longford has so much more and such a big story to tell um, that I'd love to be part of telling it.
1: Okie okay, dokie, we are getting to the main uh, subject matter of our Longford episode. So let's do it. So last week, Longford Council met with families from Syria who are living in Ireland to address serious accommodation needs that were brought to light. Well, I first saw them anyway, um, when uh, Rory McKiernan um, was, was tweeting about it, and including one claim that a pregnant woman was sleeping in a car with the engine running to keep warm. Um, Families living in Granard in Longford had had raised concerns as well about their accommodation in the town. So what happened and how can we ensure that the needs of families who come to Ireland as refugees are looked after properly? Rory is joining us to discuss this. Uh, Rory McKeon is an author, campaigner, former member of Council of State. He's the founder of SpunOut.ie, former Fulbright scholar, founding member of Uplift and host of the Love and Courage podcast. Uh, We're also cognizant that we are talking about families who aren't appearing on the podcast today, but there are privacy issues and so on there. So we're going to discuss this more generally uh, with Rory, who brought this to light. Rory, you are from Cavan, I believe, but this is a Longford episode, so going to have to uh, switch sides a little bit. How are you keeping?
4: I'm keeping very good, yeah. Thanks for having me on the podcast.
1: So... Bring us back to what happened, when, and how did you first hear that there were issues with accommodation in Longford uh, for for uh, families who are also refugees?
4: Um, well, I suppose I've been involved in various um, types of community work for twenty years or so now, and I've travelled extensively around Ireland, so I know people in in all corners really at this point, and I also have family and friends in Longford, and so. Basically, somebody contacted me a couple of weeks ago and said, this situation's going on. And what really captured me was, as you described it, um, a story of a pregnant woman sleeping in a car to keep warm. And I just couldn't get that thought out of my mind. And, you know, it was like a whole spotlight just emerged in my mind on that. I couldn't get away from it. And it was around the time the Mother and Baby Homes report had come out and very much around women and pregnant women and institutions and how we treat and care and support and don't support. And I just couldn't get away from the parallels as well. So. I mean, it's, it's not something you hear about and just ignore, you know. So I just set about making inquiries, really.
0: What, um, is, the, what is the situation with accommodation um, in Longford for refugees and how do they end up in this situation?
4: Yeah, so um, the kind of refugee and asylum-seeking process has has all sorts of different components, but these are what are known as program refugees that come under the UN agreement um, that Ireland's part of. And really on balance, Ireland takes a very, very low and modest percentage of refugees in Europe. Um, So we're talking about a couple of thousand over the last couple of years. And we're predominantly talking, particularly obviously in this context, about Syrian refugees. And we think about Syria, it has been called the world's greatest humanitarian catastrophe in recent years. You're talking about four to 500,000 people killed, 50% of the population displaced internally and and into refugee camps in Lebanon and throughout Europe um, and moving into Europe then. And, and people will be familiar with the images um, of dinghies and people drowning in refugee camps and lesbos and so on. So um, these... People came as part of the resettlement program, and in fact, were keen to kind of relay and are keen to relay that they were invited here by the Irish government um, as part of the re- and promised and offered sanctuary. You know, so uh, they didn't, you know, they didn't have any great dream to be in Ireland, um, but they're very arrived here grateful and relieved to be provided with shelter and sanctuary, and are now over a year into that journey and. We're grateful to be given accommodation as part of that, and um, so this is entirely distinct from the direct provision system, which is worthy of many more episodes and i I'm, I'm sure you you covered that as well but um the bottom line is that the accommodation they were given was not fit for purpose and is not fit for purpose. And really, it's a very simple scenario. We shouldn't even be talking about it. The truth be told, it could have been sorted with a couple of phone calls. And if anybody really cared enough, the issues were raised over the course of a year, flagged through due process and all that kind of stuff. And I kind of set about looking into it and sent courteous emails, made inquiries, all the rest, gave the authorities a week or so to reply. And at which point I'm busy with all sorts of other things. Um I I don't know if I I, I probably do regret now that I didn't go in harder and faster, to be honest. I I just assumed that that really when the alarm bells were raised and I, I more I didn't threaten, but I made it pretty obvious that I wasn't going to be letting it lie. And a week later, nothing had happened. And I went, I can't believe it. I'm going to have to blow this up. And that's where you probably saw it on Twitter and contacting the media and so on. And then, you know, the media wants me to talk about it. I was very, very reluctant. And they basically Shannon side Northern said They needed somebody to go on air and that became me and I became this kind of conduit person between the families and community and support workers and we just kind of raised all hell uh, diplomatically, politely but firmly and basically succeeded and had to force Longford County Council's hand to do a very simple kind of due process um, visit the families, have a meeting with them get the Longford County Council CEO at this point there's journalists involved there's several TDs there's junior minister you know, and I'm just going like this is absolutely ludicrous. I ended up taking a week off work and freelance, so that brings its own challenges. Um, but uh, you know, happily to do that, but also incredulous that this this is what we need to do in Ireland to make change. Um, you know, and that, this is a very it's a very serious issue for for these families. Um, but on the grand scheme, when we look at all the other many issues. It raises questions for me around how much campaigning energy we always have to keep expending for people to do the right thing, you know? So it brings me to this question of institutional inertia and what is at the heart of the dysfunction of the Irish state and how does it go back so long of decades of institutionalization and direct provision being part of that now. And also now you see echoes of that, of how um, people from a war-torn country are being treated or are just not given the basic fundamental human respect that everybody deserves. So, you know, I'm glad to report that, that things are improving now rapidly, but we're keeping a very close eye on things and won't be shy to to get stuck in again where necessary. But I've since heard of similar going on in Galway and elsewhere. So you know, st- systemic um, issues, which potentially systemic racism, certainly systemic inertia. And really, there's a rot there that I just think we can't ignore. And it's not unrelated to the mother and baby homes. And direct provision, again, bring it back to the spotlight there, that it just, it's it's over 20 years now. And we just, we cannot let it, it is the issue, def- one of the defining issues of our generation.
0: Yeah, it does feel like every situation that's been coming up has got like the general public pushing along to get it brought to light, which is really frustrating. Um, But how much would you say the housing crisis has contributed to this situation?
4: Um, This particular one, not so much. Um, I do think it's a huge factor in um, the context of direct vision in that you now have emergency direct vision centers have popped up around the country. Um, What's happening is that when people are given their asylum status after sometimes many years, uh, many soul destroying years um, in direct vision centers or camps, as some people call them, They've nowhere to go and they're very vulnerable. They maybe haven't had education opportunities, work education, CV building. They don't have the same social network, cultural networks that you or I might have. Having been born here, we know how to phone, who to talk to, who to ask about housing. Do you know anyone who might be able to help me out with this or with that? Um, so massive issues there and potentially a, a, a huge issue around homelessness then for for asylum seekers and refugees. Um, we've seen recently where a, an emergency centre set up down the road from us, uh, where we live now in, in County Clare, down in Milltown, Malby. And Really, uh, that started off as a really good news story in that the community really rallied behind the men that came from various countries and um, around 30, mainly younger men and um we were bringing them swimming. There was music. There was all sorts going on. It was really breeding life into Miltown Malby. It was becoming this phenomenal success story and um, RT got got behind it and, and the Irish Indo and all sorts were reporting of this really great news story of integration versus what had happened elsewhere in Art and other places where the far right had got involved and so on. Um, but what ended up transpiring was that the, the men were neglected and deprived of, of just on basic issues around food and you know, there was a whole myriad of issues emerged, and we ended up having to campaign to get that place shut down and for the men to be sent to to proper accommodation. So, so that that is relevant to the housing crisis, and I think, um, you know, th- this kind of narrative emerges. Unfortunately, it's it's a very toxic and um, very narrow uh, narrative that we need to look after our own first and. You know, we have to kind of interrogate that and say, well, who are our own? And also, like, if you want to go down that road of separating uh, people born in Ireland from elsewhere, then, you know, really, this is an issue that affects us all. And we should all unite around this one fight of housing as a fundamental right, as a human right and shelter as something that humankind has needed from the beginning of time, as a fundamental, in order to be safe, peaceful, to be well in the world, it affects me and my wife. for are still renting. It affects so many people in my generation. It's causing undue stress, distress, hardship, um, and mental a mental toll on people. and And then you take that about people that you and I know, and then put that onto the more vulnerable populations. It's a horrendous situation, and it's it's another stain on the country. And um, so we can't really you know, the danger is that we just get exhausted and we get beaten down and our spirits become deflated and we lose hope. And that's where we need to keep the fight alive. That's where we need to keep hope alive. And that's where these these small but significant victories matter. And they show us that we can achieve things, that we can always achieve things, that campaigning achieves things.
1: You know, Rory, when you talk about like how you um, found out about this, like someone just rang you because they probably thought, oh, you know, maybe Rory will know what to do. And I think that different people who maybe work in um, media and who work in activism and who are just like buzzing about the place and of course politics as well get these kind of calls. But I think what it also shows is that uh, from the broader public side of things, like I think people are generally really want to get involved in ending direct provision in a practical way or like really want to engage with um, asylum seekers or refugees or people who are coming to the country in under high stress circumstances and go, well, maybe I can contribute something. But the access points don't seem to be there. How can people really engage with this issue? I mean, this issue in particular, move a little bit away from it and go more into the, the the stuff around ending DP, how can people really build alliances um, with people who are experiencing substandard accommodation or, you know, um, infinite institutionalisation uh, in, in the case of direct provision often? Because it can feel like we're shut, as much as people are shut out from society in these kind of cruel and inhumane situations, the broader public is also shut out from helping and engaging and building relationships.
4: Yeah, you're absolutely right to, uh, you know, just name that, the fact that most people are very willing and and want to be involved in solutions and and, in positive kind of community efforts. And that would be true in Granard and Longford. Like the Syrian families have had a generally good experience and are very well integrated. And generally, um, people have been very, very accommodating, supportive, welcoming. We've all seen the kind of toxic Trolling and, and comments that happen online, but that really is, and it's important to remember that it's a minority view, you know. Um, so, to to your question, um, how it, it's important, uh, particularly when you look at uh, where direct provision centres. We're talking in the in the region of six thousand people, if I'm not mistaken, in direct provision, and generally are often in these very kind of. Old hotels run down, you know, mostly, well, generally always privately owned at this point, uh, like failed or run down hotels or old institutional buildings and often really at the outskirts of town, sometimes with no footpaths, you know. And so when you look at the physical setting of some of these places, they are almost by design uh, removed from their life. Blood of the community and and people are on the margins in the physical sense as well as in the social sense. So it does need a concerted, uh, strategic and dedicated effort. So I do see all of these kind of friendship groups around the country. There's amazing things going on in Roscommon and Galway and Longford and Clare, all are, all around the place. Um, and that's a credit to huge community efforts. And I also want to say something that I've noticed has is that. They quite often in my experience anyway, um, are female led and it's just something that I've noticed and I've also become very, very curious about it as well. But maybe that's another conversation. Um, but I think just care for people is, is so essential and I know when I moved to Clare I didn't know that many people and people helped me out made introductions made friends so if we can bring it down to friendship at a very like core human value and how do we get to know each other and that's what was happening in Milltown Malby very very successfully through swimming and music and you know the arts being such a, a a force to bring people together and see the shared humanity in each other. To hear songs from Iraq and the shan kind of vibes running through the Iraqi songs and the songs of sadness, and then to hear that from like County Clare music as well. It's it's just been incredible to witness, um, and then just natural friendships emerge. But the challenge in all of this is that it reply it, it relies on the ad hoc goodwill. Of people and their spare time and their volunteering efforts and also they don't necessarily the communities don't necessarily have the knowledge the language capabilities um the the ins and outs of the systemic challenges that some of these people are facing and so it does need a state response when it comes to integration so i was talking to um I hope he doesn't mind me saying, but he's an amazing guy in his own right uh, zach morahi he his family are Kurdish um, he was on the Tommy Tiernan show recently and he came here with his family as part of the refugee uh, program and he was talking about like the integration supports that his family received were relatively good at least that was me that's me paraphrasing him I hope I'm not incorrect, but he did say that like the ball has kind of dropped somewhat in recent years, so it does look like there's a general apathy and inertia from the Irish state when it comes to vulnerable people and in in vulnerable people in general. And I I remember reading about Hungarian refugees that came here in the fifties to a camp, I think it was in Limerick. And eventually, like a lot of them wanted to leave Ireland because they were so badly treated. And so we love to have this sense of ourselves as a kind, welcoming, warm, caring nation. And a lot of that is true, but the sad, harsh, harrowing reality is a lot of that is not true as well. And so we have to face up to that and ask a big existential question about who are we as a people, what do we value? And the state has to be a representation of that value system. And at the moment, there's a massive disconnect between the state and the people, and it constantly relies on the people to push forward. And that's including in COVID. you know, anyway, I won't get into the whole COVID thing because that's I'm opening up a can of worms. But yeah, um, you know, I do think the appetite's there, but we need a state response, an adequate one and rapidly so.
0: You brought up COVID now, so you sound like a really <laughs> hopeful person. How have you found the pandemic and how's been living in it?
4: Yeah, um, well, okay, I'll get the horrible bits out of the way first. <laughs> um yeah, um, I, I'm someone who loves traveling. I love going abroad. I love buzzing around. I love buzzing around Ireland. So I haven't been able to do any of that. Um, my book came out, uh, my first book took me six years to write and finish. It nearly broke me in the end. And it came out uh, the first week of the first lockdown. So that was quite a challenge. I had a book tour planned, posters up, all of that. And I had a UK and a US tour planned as well. I had a US publisher. So all of those things were, bro- were gone. But i had to like immediately situate the context in my mind that the most important thing here is people's uh, public health and well-being and and everyone being looked after well and so it wasn't about me and it uh, i think one of the big things around this is it's not about any one of us it's about all of us so um Thankfully, I was able to see that early on. I'd say about 60, 70, 80% of my work dried up in terms of paid work. And that's still the case. I'm always busy. I work like, you know, the guts of 50 hours a week or whatever it is. Um, So work's not a problem. Pay can be a challenge. But, you know, that's a reality for hundreds of thousands of people right now. And sometimes there's an element of maybe shame or or challenge on a personal level that we don't talk talking about our personal finances. But the more we kind of just breathe air and light into it, we can see that these are common challenges that we all face. But then, you know. Beyond all this, life is pretty good for me. You know, I have food, I have shelter, I have an amazing wife, I have amazing friends, I have amazing family. I don't live near my family, sadly, but... Um, I get to swim in the sea every day in Claire, I listen to good music. I go for walks in nature and I just keep my head about me. And I've been doing these zoom tours around the world, like book tours. So I'm doing, I've done 20 odd events in different countries and just keeping the light on and, and just, you know, feeding my mind with, with positive stuff while still, you know, not shying away from the challenges in the world as well.
0: Tell us a bit about your book.
4: Uh Okay. Yeah. Well, the book's about hope, so pretty relevant. It's called Hitching for Hope. It's part memoir of sorts. It's part um kind of travel adventure of hitchhiking adventures around Ireland, asking people about hope, um particularly post-Celtic Tiger era. Uh, so a kind of doom, gloom, uh, recessionary time era when a lot of people were seeking hope. Um, but it's also just a look back on my life over maybe 20 years of, of kind of activism and and change and trying to make sense of it all. Um, sometimes I think I've made sense of things and then, (laughs) then the next day I don't. So it's just a, a never ending journey. Um, but it's been a great experience. I learned a lot from writing a book and I know you've been on that journey yourself. Um, and it's been amazing. Then I'm on a new journey launching it and, and it's just given life. Like I've, I'm in touch with a group in Sweden, want me to do an event with them. And I have an event in Washington, D.C. and uh, soon and another in San Francisco. So it's it's bringing me on this other journey as well. And I've ended up writing again since then during one of the lockdowns and yeah, so I don't know where it's all going, but do any of us know where it's all going? I don't know. No, you we know don't. where it's all going.
1: Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Rory, thanks so much for, for taking the time out to, to share that story. Um, and uh, people should pick up the bo- book, Hitching for Hope, and uh, hopefully talk to you soon. It's been a long time, and it's great to chat to you.
4: Thanks so much. Much appreciate it. And keep up the great work with the podcast. It's great. Love it.
1: The waves are calling me, Andrea. I believe it is time to get in the sea.
0: Uh, yeah, two things annoyed me this week. <laughs> two things annoyed me, that's it. Like, literally, I'm like walking around like an annoyed annoyer. First up, like, the arrogance of the CEO of Dublin Council is just the gassest thing in the world. Like, fair play to them nothing is getting in the way of his his vibes uh, so basically the white water rafting project the contentious white water rafting project like I, like it's building and building becoming this thing of people just hating it and everything it stands for now I know that was the case at the start but it's just like I've just noticed so many people just being like if this goes ahead like I just can't Pope.
1: Oh, I saw Emer McLeis tweeting saying that if they build it, she's gonna stage a coup.
0: <laughs> the day after Myanmar coup. She was like, Please don't cancel me. <laughs> um it was an accident. She didn't it wasn't on purpose. But uh, so it was denied funding by the government, obviously, because it's a fucking bananas idea. Uh, and then but no that's not going to stop our DCC CEO. He's chucking on with it and it's put it out to tender anyway. <laughs> Who's going to build this? Well, that's what it's going out to tender. It's without the money. There's no money to pay for it. But like, look, we've got the tenders out.
1: I was reading then that they actually um, had another, or there is another plan floating around, haha, about um, a freshwater swimming pool, which sounds like a way better idea. Lovely. Um. And I'm like, if maybe anything- that'll be part of the whitewater rafting. I don't, also don't understand how they like price the whitewater rafting at 13 million and it's now, in a year, it was 25 million quid. First of all, 13 million quid for, the, have you seen the fucking f- pictures, like the, the, you know, pictures of it? It's like this crazy thing, but, like, Dublin City Council are out here going, we can't, or we're just buying all these one-bedroom gaffs for 400 grand because that's how much it costs to build a one-bedroom apartment in Dublin City. It's like, and you thought building a whitewater rafting complex was going to leave you change of 15 mil. <laughs> like, no.
0: oh. Uh, uh, uh,
1: uh, anyway. We'll- anyway, I think there, there's some other proposal for a swimming pool beside the Sean O'Casey Bridge. And if we've learned
0: is- anything from this uh, pandemic is that people love swimming now. Yeah, how else are they going to wear their dry rubs? <laughs> 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 uh, the other thing that's getting in the sea now. You know the way I have a problem with party politics in general and the whip. So it was all highlighted. The cherry on top this week, uh, when. Rebecca Moynihan worked on this bill and she'd gone in and out and roundabout, about uh, researching and putting in loads of work, talking to endo specialists, so it's not just about giving out free products, uh, make, putting it into law so there's legislation about where can, where products should be and having that you have to have it in schools and public buildings, and blah blah. Loads of detail, loads of work. Uh, like, what's the free, what's the, her bill called? Period, free? The free provision of period products and mm uh she worked with Monica, who's running for the head of the Labour Party in Scotland, Monica Lennon, to, on she brought in the first uh, free provision of period products in Scotland and like has been like lauded as like the top 10 influential political women of the year of 2020, blah, blah. Anyway, so there's loads of work done. Uh, the bill was launched. Everyone, like there was support a call put out for cross-party support to get it over the line and then a week later uh, just after she'd done the call for cross-party support uh, another bill was put forward by Fianna Fáil to, which was said I'm going to put forward this bill and then a week later it was put for, it came out or I don't think it's out yet but it's the, the wording of the bill is one sentence that fits into a tweet saying that the Minister for Health should look at this and do it
1: it's just so wild. Like, why Fianna Fáil feel like they can get away with this? And like, again, the main political tool that Fianna Fáil think they have, but they don't have, is that little memory stick thing from Men in Black. You know, <laughs> it's like, you guys don't have that. We, we know what is happening. Um, Rebecca Moylan put a huge amount of work into this bill. And for somebody to just kind of um, piggyback on it and put in a one sentence bill, um, whether or not they think it's a good idea or agree with the stuff. Like, the bill is there. Uh, so,
0: like you, I mean, it's classic, to- like, getting someone else to do your homework for you vibes. If you came to the table with a better bill, Grant, This is not about party p- politics for me. It's like, what gets the result of what these bills are trying to achieve? Come to the table with a better bill? Brilliant. Let's go for it. But it's, like, just a one-sentence bill, like, Scarlita's way. It can absolutely get in the sea.
1: And now... It's bananas. What's bananas this week? Or am I doing it's banana I'm doing it's bananas. We're doing it's bananas. Well, what is bananas is the GameStop stock shenanigans. I know lots
0: of people have been following it and it blew up on the internet and uh, Are you not going to do this is what actually happened with GameStop. Like if I see one more explainer. Okay, Grant, that's what a short is. Piss off. <laughs> well, I'll
1: tell you what's a good resource. Uh, a good little summary of it is there's an episode of The Daily this week that talks to their tech reporter and also their like business reporter. And so you get the kind of internet culture part and then you also get the other part about um Actually, what Wall Street t- thought about this because obviously they're all like shitting the tights over it because they've just realized. Wait a minute, our fake game can be played by other people. Um, and uh, but I just think it's really interesting, and I think that I wrote my column about it this week. Just this idea that uh, this urge to just be like burn it all down, fuck the system, let's go beat people at their own game, la la la. Like that is a very. Uh, I think it's an under. Observed feeling of the moment and uh, when people actually realise that they can just mess around with these kind of things once enough people are involved uh, people power etc you can kind of do whatever you want and that is can be done really in really terrifying crazy negative ways or it can be done in really interesting beautiful ways or it can be done in kind of anarchic ways anyway I just thought that um, yes you're right Andre there was loads of people you know, re- I saw like both The Big Short and Wolf of Wall Street were trending on Netflix. Um, so, but it does speak to the moment, doesn't it? Like, yeah. just people kind of going, "Yeah, all this bullshit, elitist crap. Let's kind of kick the tires a little bit or
0: slash them." Did you say bananas? Uh, so it is bananas. No, proper. Come on, it's bananas. It's, it's incredulous. <laughs> okay, uh, what, so, like, what are no, you... No, I'm not doing it again, I Adrian. Piss off. I'm
1: not doing it again. That's it. Thumbs up emoji for you. Uh, what are your fave bits this
0: week? I get to go first because we crossed over on so many of our fave bits. Uh, my first fave bit is... Now, the both of us had this in, so we can both say it. It's uh, uh, Denise Chyla's on-shot video. It's so good. So good. It's an absolute chewing a chicken well can't. Like, did we have it as a chain of chicken well but the video just adds to it even more and like we can definitely say it was Denise Childers year and I think it will be again this year she is on fire uh, also I love Jafaris shout out to Jafaris um so yeah that, big up that uh it's a sin Nobody's really talking about it. Have you heard about it? Uh, This show came out. You probably wouldn't have heard of it. Um, But it is HIV Awareness Week this week. So, um, yeah, I feel like everyone's seen it. So I don't really have to say anything more about that.
1: Yeah, we were going to do an episode on it, but I don't know if we will. What I would say is uh, there are more people contracting HIV now in Ireland than there were at the height of the AIDS pandemic in the 80s and 90s. A person contracts HIV in Ireland every eighteen hours on average. So I would Im- appeal to people who are who are kind of looking at uh, you know AIDS history, AIDS histories for for the first time. Through it's a sin uh, to to kind of look beyond that and engage with the fact that HIV and AIDS are not past tense. HIV in particular is not past tense. Um, to follow Act Up Dublin. And Maybe we will chat about it. I have a lot of opinions on it. <laughs> I guarantee you, all of them are unpopular. <laughs> all of the, all of my opinions on it to say it are unpopular.
0: We've had we've had a we've had a heated. It's a thin week. <laughs> we have. Um, uh, yeah, we're going to have to do an episode on it now. And finally, my last five bit is a documentary you feature in Una. Clubbing is Culture went live this week. It's uh, a project I worked on under the No More Hotels guys with my disco husband, Dave Byrne, um, and we worked with House and Algorithm. Um, We came together for Culture Night um, to do projections on the carcasses of uh, buildings that were clubs that are now hotels or student accommodation. And as part of that, we had all that footage. We put together a uh, doc, a mini doc, um, getting some tastemakers in the clubbing. Vom, and- vom. Never, the- ever use that word. Tastemakers and change makers uh, to talk about their special memories. <laughs> That's the word. <laughs> uh, to talk about why clubbing is, in fact, culture um, so it's out at the moment. It's uh, it's getting a really good reaction. And if you want to watch it, go to YouTube and just search Clubbing as Culture. And yeah, let's 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 bring clubbing home. Uh, <laughs> but it's I think it's uh, it's uh great. Well done. There's so much work being done on the nighttime economy um by amazing people and Catherine Martin again um setting it up and there is like it's a journey and i think that it's all well and good fighting for the nighttime economy but if so many people think clubbing is just this like disruptive force that happens at nighttime where people just get messy and it's an inconvenience and blah blah blah, and don't see the other side of it um it's hard to get by it so watch the doc share it with your family and people who think clubbing is in bits my mom literally at the start of this was like uh, Andrea, come on! Like it's just where people go and blah blah. It's like, mom, please watch it. And she watched it. And she's like, oh. Wasn't really buying into it. And then over the last weekend, she was lecturing me of how important clubbing was culture. I was like, cool.
1: Thanks a million.
0: Um,
1: well done, Andrea's newly radicalised mother. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm very serious in it. I need to not be so serious.
0: No, I love it. Um, you're so good in it. And oh, yeah, the- thanks, pal you're in it Billy McMahon from This Is Pop AAB is in it uh, designer and clever John Mangrew is in it uh, Lord Mayor Hazel Chu is in it and uh, girl crew founder Mona Lisa is in it so yeah good
1: Bob I have one fave bit this week uh, my fave bit and now you
0: had on show as well
1: I had on show and I also had Clubbing and Sculpture um, I actually now I'm worried that I've mentioned this five bit before. Anyway, it's fourth season of Call My Agent. I love Call My Agent. I know everybody loves Call My Agent now. Um, Were you there I, from the start like me? I, I very much doubt I was because I didn't watch it in its original French song subtitles. Uh but it's such a good show and it's just really smart and funny and it has amazing um, lead character who's lesbian, so that's great. Um, they have to be somewhere on television. So they're not if in they're It's
0: not, a Sin, are they?
1: <laughs> they're not in It's a Sin. Lesbians didn't exist then. Um, so, uh, yeah, I really enjoy it and I don't have any other fave bits. I saw four herons on the North Circular Road this morning. Does that count? <laughs> This podcast is
4: produced
1: by <laughs> <laughs> Love a good Aaron. Okay. This podcast is produced by Andrew Ragan and Ray Media. Chris O'Clear did or gave us this Gina Chicken Roll for our soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all of our design. Did it, oh, fucking hell, did all of our design. Thank you for sticking with us through the counties. Uh, we have done about over 120 episodes and there's only 32 counties. So that goes to show our level of sidetracking and distraction, to be quite honest. Um, and that doesn't even include the Sunday suits. So we had a glorious trip around Ireland. In all 32 counties, and of course we will be going back to all of those counties constantly on a constant basis. But we may not be shoehorning things in as much, and we'll be responding to and finding the stories that you find interesting and the people that you don't tend to hear uh, on other media, I guess, but who are really smart. Um, so let's do that, shall we? Uh, Andrea, cade on tuna chicken roll.
0: Sure, a Elaine May. August, May, K. Now forever. Yo! A far of pleasure. Just to be with you. An expected measure. So we can say we saw this through.
2: And with all your pressure. So we can tell the mirror was true. A forego of pleasure. Than
0: forever. I guess with some kindness and blindness we managed to hold this
2: down. And now that we're standing on top of this drone, I can't see you now.
0: A mixture of kindness and blindness we managed to hold this down. But now that. we're
3: The drone, I see you now